Good morning. Good morning. I normally work with kids. They need to know you're here. Good morning. Awesome. Is it just me? Does that theme song make you want to line dance? Is it just me? I love it. It's awesome. It takes me back to when I lived in Texas. Well, hey, it's good to see you. Y'all look so great. So many people in the room again. We were in the home stretch of, of 1 Peter, this amazing letter written to the first century Christians that were exiled to a place that they really didn't want to be. They were persecuted in Asia Minor. You know, the more this year goes on, the more it kind of feels like we keep getting exiled. Like, we're out. No, we're in. No, we can get out. No, you can't. Wear a mask. Don't. Put on a bodysuit. I feel like the boy in the plastic bubble half the time. But it's all right because this is the new norm, right? Don't you hate that word, new norm? I mean, this happened thousands of years ago. This is the first century church. Did they say this is the new norm? I don't think so, right? So our first section, we were talking about Peter and that living hope and that focusing on God and humility and submission and listening. And then we moved into that wonderful chapter about the glorious, strange life of suffering. Isn't that awesome, that strange life of suffering? And how we were to do it to give God honor and God glory and to live for him. And today we're there. We're near the end. We're in the last chapter. This is the chapter where we get to rebel. This is the time where we have an uprising and we take everybody down. Yeah, like if you read ahead, you're like, I don't think that's what's going to happen. You're absolutely right. But it's cool because Peter doesn't, Peter doesn't ignore us and say, hey, now that's it. Sorry. There you go, right? He keeps us going. He keeps us moving. So if you haven't already, please open your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Those of you in the room that are very astute, you'll say, hey, aren't we missing a little section there that we should be talking about? Um, it's intentional. We have nothing against that first part of, of chapter 5, but the cool part, the amazing, the amazing um, Stan Hager will be here next week to do that, our elder. He's going to come back and get that part. So don't miss that. And just uh, something else, if you feel like um, you missed something or you haven't gotten everything, please go to our website. Please go to our YouTube. We've been doing this, I think this is like the 15th week, 16th week. I can't count. I'm not an accountant. Um, we've been doing this for a long time, and it's all there we want you to do. It. So open your Bibles to First Peter chapter 5, and we will start at verse 8. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by the means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. It's an awesome verse. It's an awesome book. But we get this, this first thing, and, and, you know, this is our battle cry, right? Peter's like, here's your battle cry. He's like rallying us as troops for him. It doesn't really feel like it. We've been beaten, killed, spit on, ridiculed, stolen from, kicked out. But this is our battle cry. I mean, just when we think the suffering is over, it gets worse. But Peter is saying, it doesn't have to be bad because you're in control. Here are a group of Christians that are basically just trying to survive. As 
that sound familiar to anybody? Sounds very familiar. Just trying to live. Just trying to figure out how they get through life. Now, before I go too far in all this, I, I need to tell you a secret. And some of you may not know this. Satan is real. I'm going to say it again. I really want you to listen. Satan is real. And that's important that we know that. It's important that we totally grasp that state. Because if we don't, we start getting smart. We start relying on ourselves. We start thinking, I'm this, I'm all that. And we start thinking that, and he disappears. And we don't want to do that to ourselves. Peter needed those first century Christians, and Peter needs us to know that our real enemy is Satan. It's not each other. It's not the Detroit Lions. Really, it's not the Detroit Lions. <laughs> but it's Satan. You know, the devil goes by many names. There's three main ones. Adversary. In Greek, it's antikos. And it means like an opponent. Like in a lawsuit. The one that's coming at you. The devil. We all know this one, right? Diabolos. And that's a slanderer, someone that speaks maliciously, someone that lies all the time. And finally, Satan, or in Greek, Satan. And that literally means to attack, to accuse, the accuser. These are names that we hear this name that doesn't have this sort of power. We just see, oh, it's the devil made me do it, or oh, the devil and them. But really what it means, oh, the liar, the malicious, or the attacker, the one that opposes you, the one that takes everything from you. The one who wants to stand before God and say, you don't know them, they don't know you. I'm not going to stand in this spot again. But there's a, lot of, there's a lot of other names for Satan, right? There's Lucifer, meaning the morning star. He was once glorious and bright. The ruler of the demons, the god of this world, the prince of the power of the air, serpent, dragon, tempter, the anointed cherub that covers, Beelzebub, Belel, and the wicked one. I'm going to warn you, I'm going to spend most of the time today talking about the devil, and that may not be fun. And I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. It's something you got to hear. I've always learned that when I read the Bible, if God says something more than once, it's important. If God says something a few times, I should probably listen. If God lists this a lot about this guy, I should probably pay attention and learn about him. So I'm going to tell you a little story about my life. When I lived in Liberty, Missouri, which is just north of Kansas City, home of the Chiefs, world champion football team, um, I lived in Liberty, Missouri, there's a next door neighbor is a lady named Laura. And Laura was awesome and she was intriguing. And she was intriguing because Laura was like five foot nothing, maybe a hundred pounds. Bright red hair, bright red hair, 100% Irish woman. And she was in her late 50s, right? She had five kids, two boys, three girls, a husband. And she was like that neighbor that was like kind of quirky. We loved her because like within the first week, she goes, oh, I, I noticed you left your ketchup out. Is that good? We're like, how'd you know where the fuck I kept you out? 
You know? And she was awesome. And she'd be out there and you'd look out the door and Lord come out. She had this big sun hat on and this tattered t-shirt and these shorts. Everything seemed too big, right? And those boots that you wear in your garden, they're green and you think they should have eyeballs on them, but they don't. But you look at, John has a pair, John McGovern, he has a pair of those. And, and so she comes out and she does all this, right? And she, she comes out and you talk to her and she's this great lady. You're like, Mark, that's not very intriguing. That's half our neighbors. Like, I know, but then it gets better. So our driveways were like literally this far apart, and they went up the hill, so our driveways were right next to each other. So we talked all the time, our kids slid down them, and there's this one morning, I was taking out the trash on my way to work, and I was starting up the driveway, and it was like really early, so the sun's behind me, because the back of our yard is in the east, and it's raising, and I look up, and I see Laura standing up there in her driveway, her back to me in this position, I hit that spot, in this position, and what I didn't tell you is that Laura is a colonel in the army, and she stood there like this. She had full fatigues on, her little black beret. And I was just like in awe watching her. And then she turned, because I said, good morning, Lauren. She turned like this. And that's when I saw this nine-month be- beautiful belly of love. And but a little bigger than this one, not much. Beautiful belly of love. And I started laughing. Right? I'm, I'm sorry. I know I should be respectful. And I'm laughing. Because she's a colonel. She's in full fatigues. It's a whole different sort of person. She knows things I can't even know about. In fact, when she went to get top, top, top secret clearance, she came over to the house. She goes, so I'm, there's a couple of generals talking about me right now, and you're going to get a call to talk about me. And Mark, this is not a time to be funny. <laughs> Laura obviously knew me well. And so it was great because even that morning, I go, hey, Laura, what's up? Where are you going? And she goes, gives me that look. And I go, oh, she goes, can you help Jeff? I can help Jeff. It was cool. She'd take off, she'd come back, and things would happen around the world. It was really weird, because I knew her as Laura in the frog boots. Do you know our government spends, on average, about $80 billion a year on espionage? Now, part of our scope, but they need to know who our enemy is. They need to know what they're going to do. They have to be very aware of that. Laura knew more about the world and war and attacks and suspected attacks than most people ever dream of. She knew things. She taught at the war college. Laura, my little friend next door. It's amazing. Do you know that they spend 80 billion and trillion dollars to find out what you like to buy? That every click, everything you look at, things you say are trapped. That's why Zach keeps getting Chia Pet ads every time he opens his browser. <laughs> right, Zach? Yeah, he says no. Professional sports teams spend hours looking at film. They just stare at it because the way someone holds their hand might indicate what the play is. We ignore our enemy. That Satan guy. You know, the guy with the horns looks really goofy. We make fun of him all the time. Peter needs us to know. In verse 8, he says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. I wish I could have Alicia come up here and talk to you. You missed prayer group this morning. What she said was amazing in this part. And it blows away everything I have written. So I'm going to steal everything that Alicia said this morning. Not everything. Um, stay alert is also sober-minded. 
be of sober mind. Your versions might say that. This is the third time Peter has used this in this letter alone. Three times. Stay alert. Must be important, right? Three times. Stay alert. In Greek, it's napho, which is a great word. And it's, in, it's not just, hey, I'm drunk on alcohol or whatever you do in Colorado, right? It means that I'm drunk in the world. I'm drunk on problems. I'm more important than this. I'm kind of floating around, dizzy-headed. Alicia pointed out this morning, it was awesome, that it's, it, a lot of times it's about prayer. Stay alert. Pray. Stay alert. Are you listening? Stay alert. And then he says, be watchful. Watch. Keep awake. Literally, watch. Are we alert and awake? Most of the time, we just kind of mosey through life and get mad, right? Put our mask on, get mad at people with their noses poking out. But we're not alert and awake. We're not praying alertly, praying with awakeness, praying with the fervency and a power that was given to us by a risen God. Which means that Satan's over there going, hmm, thanks, just made my day easier. You know, you need to be, here's my, my feeling of this, this is how it needs to feel. Have you ever been in your house and it's late and you're hearing noise and you're there alone and you just go, bink, spidey senses? And all you have in your room is a fork and a plate with the cake you just ate? Don't judge me. I'm doing better. But you're walking down those stairs. Are you alert and awake at that point? I bet you 99% of the time you're praying. Being alert and awake is the first thing that Peter wants us to know. We need to pay attention. We need to understand our enemies. Sometimes we don't realize that when we're not paying attention, he has total control over us. Not like physically, we're not puppets. Go left, okay, go right, okay. Do you have a brother that you played the blindfold game and they always ran you in the wall? Yeah, exactly like that. You see, Satan doesn't want us to know anything about him. He doesn't want us to understand his game plan. He doesn't want us to understand his tactics. He wants you to be literally in the dark. You know, Jesus tells us in John 8, 44, he says he was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. It is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He is a liar and the father of lies. He is offspring that lie. Our goal for us is that we have to pay so close attention to this that we understand that because he doesn't want you to recognize him. Wants to deceive you. They're not always huge lies. They're little, little tiny lies that add up. He doesn't want you to understand that you're being tricked. He is the world's greatest illusionist. Watch. 
Ha, got it over here. Coin. Wish I had a coin. That would have been awesome. Um, he lies to you because that's who he is, not because that's what he wants to do. That's just who he is. He was once light, and he fell, and now he's the father of lies. He sat with God and fell. You don't think he knows things we don't know? This is uh, one of my favorite quotes. Um, and what's great is when you prepare for stuff, you start talking to people and they give you some of the same stuff you're going to use, it makes you feel like God's right here. So I just trust that God's right here, not because I'm anything great, but God has been awesome this week within all this, just to continually refresh and renew me. My dear brethren, do not forget when you hear the progress of lights praised that the loveliest trick of the devil is to persuade you that he does not exist. I am the smartest man in the world. That means the devil doesn't exist. I have a phone that's smarter than every computer made before 1980. That must mean the devil does not exist. Everything else was just witchcraft and jokes and myths. It's not true. We generally attribute this quote to C.S. Lewis in the Screw Tape Letters. And if you haven't read the Screw Tape Letters, I highly recommend you read the Screw Tape Letters. I have a copy out there to give to someone today, okay? If, and I'm sure there's probably 18 other copies around this room, read a book. It's, it's great. And it just, it just changes the way you think. And it was also talked by Kevin Spacey's, Carrie, Spacey's character verbal, Unusual Suspects, right? Usual Suspects, you remember that line? But actually it comes from this little short story by a French poet named Charles Baudelaire, and it was The Generous, the Generous Gambler, written in 1864. And the book's about a man that gambles away his soul to the devil because he doesn't know it's the devil. 1864. And I bet you in 1764, the devil was doing the same thing. Since the beginning of creation, when the devil fell and we got cast out of heaven, that's what he's been doing. It's not a place to be casual. It's not a life to be casual. It's, it's, it's important because it's not new. I mean, the devil's a deceiver. He's been a deceiver forever. He didn't, he didn't walk up to Adam and Eve and say, hi, I'm Satan. Now, he was a walking, talking snake because he hadn't been put to the ground yet, and that should have given him some indication that something wasn't right. Right? Like, dude, what's this all about? but they listened anyway. He wants to make sure that we never see him as he is. Is that fair? Have I hit that point hard enough? Okay, we will move on. The next, the next part of the verse in, in five, verse eight, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Peter is very intentional in his writing. For a fisher dude, he, he had this stuff down, man. It's pretty cool. He understood what was happening. So let's think about this. A roaring lion. It's a powerful image to the Christians, more than to us. We think of lions as stuffed animals. They're at the zoo. They're whatever, right? They're not a challenge. To the first century Christians, they're a really big deal. Here's some reasons. A little history for your history buffs. Asiatic lions... And remember, this is modern-day Turkey. So in Turkey, Asiatic lions roamed freely until they were completely killed to extinction in the late 1800s. 
So they were out there running around. Christians saw them. They knew it. And as a persecuted Christian, I didn't have a nice house with guards. I didn't let my kids go out at night. There are literally lions out there. Lions that literally would stalk you and eat you. Lions that literally waited for someone to get sick and separated. Lions that waited for kids to run away from their parents. That's real. I mean, think about your kid finding half their body dismembered, or your husband, or your wife, or your neighbor. In addition, we knew that the Roman Empire, part of their symbol was the lion. They wore it. They were proud of it. And they were persecuting people, chopping them up, taking their stuff, doing whatever they need to do. In fact, when they were bored, they'd say, hey, Christian, come on over to the Colosseum. We're going to play a little game. And they'd throw them in with the lions. Where do you think the phrase came? Hey, I'll feed you to the lions. This was real to them. This sparked fear in their hearts, right? Because he wanted to destroy. He wanted to persecute. Satan wants to get you down. He wants to take away your power. He wants to take everything you had. And he had these Christians, he wanted them down. He was just using the Romans. That's all he was doing. Thank you for being here. While you're here, would you mind eating that person? Chopping them up? Doing my work for me? And just like a lion, the devil is looking for those that have gone astray, separated themselves, got lost in the cares of this world. We care about money and power and fame and clicks and shares and likes and selfies. We care more about our sports teams, what's happening to our neighbor. I know it's harsh. I'm sorry they gave this one to me. I don't know why. But it's truth. Truth hurts. We've gotten apathetic. He tries to hide us behind our old good deeds. The devil whispers. You say, hey, I went to church. Good job. Hey, I gave money to the poor. Good job. Hey, I helped my neighbor. Good job. Never realizing that this isn't about all that. That's a nice thing to do, but this is about that. It's about God. It's about God's life. It's about God's love. It's not about what I do. It's about who I love and who I follow. And if Satan can just tilt my head a little bit, take me off the prize, he's won. Or so he thinks, right? When Satan tricks us, and this is important, his goal is to take you away from God. He's already lost. But if I take you away from God, it hurts God. No offense to Satan. We really don't matter. We're not big fish. But if he takes us, it hurts God. To Satan, we matter nothing to him. Kids, high school kids, college kids, people listening, listen to me. You're at the precipice of Satan's greatest attack. He loves college. He loves high school. He loves instructors that say God isn't real. He loves little videos online that say, well, have you learned about this and this myth and this myth and it's all tied in and it's all lies. He's ready to take you right now because you're ready for independence. You're the man. Right, man? I'm the man. Get out of my way. I'm off. Do what I need to do. Satan says, come out of here. I want to show you something. They say, 
And I'm just warning you because it happens to all of us. We all get challenged by it. Few of us make it through. I didn't. It took me quite a few years to come back. It took a lot of work on God's part. I'm very grateful and very humbled by that. But I didn't get through. Make it very clear in John 10.10, it says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. We know who the thief is. He wants to divide us. He wants to point fingers at each other. He wants to justify our opinions, our eyes off God, our eyes off the church. And we're already divided and separated. We can say we're not, but we are. I love you all with all my heart. But I don't, I have no idea what your name is. And if I literally forget your name, it's not that. I just don't remember names. Satan tricked Adam and Eve to eat from the tree of knowledge. And they knew they had done it. And they come back and they hide. And he did it. And I'm sure Satan was laughing the whole time because he just separated them from God. The God that they walked with every morning. The God they hung out with and loved. He already did it that quickly. And we blame them for sin, right? And then when God came, he said, what's up? What you doing in, in the forest? And they're like little kids with cookies all over their face, kind of like me. Um, I didn't eat any cookies. Well, really, um, where'd you get that mark in your face? Well, I don't know what mark in her face. Well, I see a mark. The snake made me do it. She made me do it. I don't know what I was doing. She made me. You made me do it. But the, here's the trick. The devil doesn't make you do anything. The devil doesn't have the power to make you do anything. It's not the devil's fault. He just gives you the opportunity. Sometimes you recognize it and you're like, meh, what's the risk? Sometimes you have no clue. Sometimes a little twist of word here and there. And I know he knows everything he needs to know about us. He doesn't know our future, but he knows everything else. And that should make you kind of go, ooh. A little bit. Finally, if we're not being persecuted and Satan isn't coming after us, it may be because we're really not a threat. Maybe I'm not a threat. If that's the case, I really need to think about that. In 1 Peter 5, 9, he continues. He says, stand firm against him. Be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. To stand in Greek. I'm going to mess this up. Anthis to me. Anthis to me. It's close enough. It's to stand against. It's to oppose. It's to stand. Stand. He doesn't say punch him out. He says stand. It's to stand firm. Right? Stereo, stand firm, solid, like a wall. You just stand. Faith, pistis, you stand on the faith and the truth of Jesus Christ and what you know, and you stand. It's hard to stand. I'm not a very big guy. 
I stood up to a lot of really big guys that should have broken my face down. But sometimes just by standing, they back off. What Peter is saying is that Satan, no, he has no true power over you. Can I stand up to him on my faith, knowing who I am, a child of God? Yes. You're children of God. You are the chosen of God. And if you haven't decided to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, think about that. As a child of God, Satan can't come to you. He can come and attack, but you can stand up because you're not backed by yourself. It's like having a 45-foot brother standing behind you. That says, go. Go for him. The problem is most of the time we won't stand in front of him. Here's, here's my, the metaphor that came to my mind. I was thinking this at home because I was standing in my room like this going, what do I stand like? This is going to be good. So I'm in my house standing like this, and I thought those British soldiers. I've never seen one. They're sitting there with that big Q-tip hat, you know, and they're standing there like this, and they're all stuff, and people are screaming at them and yelling at them and trying to make a move, and it's like this big thing Americans like to do. What's up with us? Seriously? It's like it's kind of embarrassing when I see it. I'm like, Really? Really? I mean, if it was me, I'd have this little tiny spitball thing right here. I'd go, I'd love, that's what I would do. That's why I'm not a British soldier right there. Um, but they just stand there and they take it. And they're regal and they're powerful because they represent the authority of England, which really has no authority. If we stand representing the authority and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and God, Satan's going to back off. Because that is our calling. We stand because we're not afraid of him. I know what he can do. I know he is powerful. But the only person I fear is God. The only person I have awe in is God. Because God can take my body and my soul. Satan can just pick on me. I have the power of God that runs through me. I have the power of the Holy Spirit that runs through me. You have that power. Every single one of you. If you've made that commitment to Christ, that power is within you, around you, surrounding you. You don't think, you don't think we have power? Boston Marathon, explosion, right? Bang, horrible thing. First thing that came out, we're Boston strong. And this community went, bam, back off. 9-11, I'm not going to make any comments. 9-11, we bounded together as a country right? Pandemic, we bonded together as a church. Don't be moved. And finally, in verse 10 and 11, Peter says, in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. In his kindness. God's kind to me. I don't deserve it. I really don't deserve it. But he is kind to me. And he loves me. And he pulled me out of stuff that I had every right to stay in. His kindness, his love, his patience for me. And I know if he'd do that for me, he's already done it for all of you. And he'll do it for you. 
whether you're here, whether you're online, whether you listen to a podcast, whether some weird person mails this to you, he can do it for you because it's his kindness. He chose you. I didn't have to choose God. He already chose me. I just had to obey. I just had to listen. I just had to trust, and I had to stand. That is where our faith comes from. That is where our power comes from. That's when we're sober and watchful and praying, diligently listening, awake, attentive. It's because of his kindness has filled me with that. His glory has filled me with that. And then he goes on to say, and after a little while, when you've suffered, suffered a little bit while more, because that's God does. And after you get persecuted more, we're like, what's more, right? I don't know, what's more to 40 years traveling around a desert, getting that tetanus shot that next day, suffering? He knows that, that we need that, right? And after we suffered, God does what he does. And there's irony there because here's the secret. Here's the other secret that I didn't tell you is the devil and God aren't equal. They're not equal. It's not good versus evil. It's not an equal battle. You see, he's an angel, this Satan guy. He's powerful. He knows stuff. He's very smart. But this isn't a Star Wars battle. It's not a lightsaber thing. He's no match. When the time comes and, you know, we... I don't know when that's going to be, so don't ask me. I don't know if we're in the times. I don't know. But I do know that God is in control. And when that time comes and Jesus comes back, we hear that. But it's not like 10 rounds and Rocky coming up. It's first punch, boom, down, ant, meat, foot. It's not a battle. And that power's in you. That power's in you. That power's in you. But we are so deceived by this enemy that we don't think we have it or we don't think we deserve it, or they got it and I don't, or we separate ourselves, and all the whole time, God's like, man, I have this thing in you. Grab it. Be strong. Be alert. Fight. Stand. Because that's what you were meant to be. You were children of God. That is awesome. That's awesome. It's mind-blowing if you just spend 10 minutes thinking, I'm a child of the guy that made the universe. Right? Guardian of the Galaxy movie you can watch. The weakest person in the world can resist Satan. The weakest person in the world, if they have the power of God in them. Your shortcomings, your failures, your doubts, your fears, God eliminates that. He takes it away. Because here's the deal. We matter nothing to Satan. We matter everything to God. All right, so next, the next session, the last section, and we'll go quickly. I know I'm going a little over. I'm sorry. God will restore you. He'll restore your hurts, your fears, your pains. He will fix you. He will repair you. This is almost an architectural word. I will take you and make you better. And then the next thing I will do is I will support you. I will literally put you erect and stand you up if you let me. And I will strengthen you in spiritual knowledge and power so you can recognize the evil's tricks. You can see what he's up to. You can stand up to him. And mighty together, we can walk and change this world. And finally, he will place you on a firm foundation. And that firm foundation is Jesus Christ. There's no other foundation to stand on. 
And I found it funny. I didn't know they were singing this, but I was in here early setting things up, and they were singing the song, The Roaring Lion. And the grave can't keep the roaring lion. I'm like, The Roaring Lion? Where did that come from? That's interesting. And I caught this, and it just hit me that Peter says, He is like the roaring lion. He wants to be the roaring lion. He wants to devour you. But our roaring lion is undefeated. Our roaring lion is amazing. In John 16, Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. Because in this world, you will have tribulation. But guess what? I overcome the world. And this is before he went to the cross. He already knew that. He already knew it was one. He didn't have a nail in him yet. He goes, it's done. It's going to happen. And that's what we're going to think about. We talk about suffering, but God is still here. There is a victory that's coming that is already happening and already happened. You guys can come on up if you want. I'll quickly go to this part. You see, we keep thinking that, oh my gosh, this, we're battling, we're battling. Yeah, we are battling. But it's like one of those games where the team's like 400 to 2. And the 2 are the 2 people that gave up, right? 400 to 2. We already know how it's going to end. Now, along the way, some of us might get hurt. Along the way, some of us might get sidelined. Along the way, some of us must leave the team. But God's like, I want you to stay here till the end. Keep focused on the end. Because at the end, you win because I win, and you're with me, and you're my kids. Amen? Amen? They can't hear you. Amen? amen. Thank you. At home, amen. Thank you. Thanks for yelling, Hop Eyes. I know you were doing it. So what I want you to start doing is read your Bible. Read your Bible. Oh, every week, same thing. There's a reason. Everything you need to know is in here about God. And then you can go out and experience and learn it. This is actually Jace's Bible because I don't have a New Living Translation. And I have to go to Ark to buy one. And they wouldn't let me because I was afraid of COVID. So I got Jace's Bible. And the cool part is I was going through it and I looked. And there's markings and writing all over it that I've never seen or knew what was happening. As a dad, I almost started crying. Because without forcing my kid doing it. And I didn't read the notes. I did not read the notes. I was tempted, but I did not. Pray. Pray diligently and awake. Don't just say, God, thank you for this food. I hate Brussels sprouts, but I'll eat them. <laughs> right? God, thank you. Help me stand firm because this is the battle we won. Keep me in this battle. Give me this courage I need to stand strong. Don't stand alone. Don't wander off. Do you don't think it was intentional that we had trivia night? Men's groups, women's groups? I hate Zoom now. And I, I'm, I hate it so much now I don't even use my fancy green screen anymore. And I used to show really cool stuff. I'm too lazy to put it up. I'm like, I'm just done. Right? But every time I miss a Friday morning on Zoom with these men that are fighting for God, at noon I go, that was stupid. Because I feel it. Don't run away from that. I'm not losing you guys. I haven't tried to look at you because you're going to make me cry. Right? I'm not losing you. You're just going to go win the battle someplace else. And you're going to stand. You're going to be amazing. You're going to mentor someone else like you mentored me. You're going to love someone else like you loved us. It's awesome. You too. You're not leaving the church. You're taking the power of God to a different place. That's all you're doing. Read Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, the armor of God. I could spend weeks on that. Read Ephesians 6. 
Read Ephesians 6. We're going to ask. So what is our battle cry? What is our uprising? What is our revolution? Doing what we're supposed to do already. What we should have been doing from the beginning. It's not an uprising. There were Christians that were standing there strong and taking it. They were going the extra mile. And I guarantee you there were Roman soldiers that went, huh. They must have been pretty good at it because Paul was writing a letter to the Romans about being Christians. Somewhere they were getting it. It wasn't from Nero. Their statement, their power, their might to stand changed that world. Our power and our might to stand will change this world. Can y'all stand for me just for a second? Even at home, if you're driving in a car, it's a podcast, don't. And what I'm going to do is shut your eyes and just listen. Just listen for a second. This is out of Romans. Romans 8.35. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. No! Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, Neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Satan's going to mess with you. Sometimes he's going to win. But we're going to fight back. And we're going to get up and we're going to stand. We're going to show the power of God. We're going to be there and be what we were originally meant to be. So one last request. Let's all read this last verse together. In 1 Peter 5.11. Because this is important, isn't it? All power to... Amen. God, I thank you so much for loving someone like me. And I thank you so much for surrounding with people, all these amazing people that love you, all these amazing people that you love. I thank you for new friends joining us today who have always loved you. And I just got to meet my brothers and sister today. That's awesome. God, I ask you to empower us, to fill you with your spirit, that our eyes and our mind would be totally and completely upon you, that your might and your righteousness and your purity and your love flows through us in such a way that it affects everybody around us without even saying a word. God, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.